Hey, I'm Phil. Thanks for checking out this message today. We're glad you're here and we would love to get connected with you and your family. So one easy way that you can do that is to text River Connect to 97000. You can also visit our website at theriverchurch.cc to learn more about us and some upcoming events. Lastly, if you would like to give to the River Church today, you can text the amount that you want to give to 84321 or you can head to our website and click the Give tab at the top of the page. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you enjoyed today's message. Uh, this morning, I, I, I'm pretty excited. Uh, I was listening to, uh, to, to Mark last week, and he was leading us through just these different titles, talking about specifically Mighty God. And I just couldn't help but my, let my mind wander to this week. And, you know, I, I was listening, I was paying attention, so, you know, don't, don't take that as I was tuning him out. But at, with every title of the Lord, I just get a little bit more excited. And so as he was preaching, I was, I was just getting so excited for this week and, and the, the title that we're going through. And honestly, what it made me think of in, in a weird way, and I'll explain this in a little bit, was it made me think of some different pioneers or some different originators, some different people who were the first. And there's some great firsts uh, in, in, in throughout history. You know, if you look back, I'm a bit of a history buff. You know, I like to, to look at things historically and, and specifically, like, I like to look at those firsts. Who were the first people to do something? Who were the, the, the ones who kind of paved the way for the people who followed up behind them. And for me, one of my favorite firsts is George Washington. Now, George Washington, you know, he did some great things. He did some not so great things. But to me, I love uh, learning about George Washington, studying him, because he has some pretty interesting facts about him and some interesting stories that really, you know, when I read him, I'm, I'm very captivated by him as a person. Specifically, you know, if you think about who he was before he was a president as a general, right? He was kind of known as leading his men in battle, right? He was not a general who kind of like stayed back at the war camp. There are some testimonies from the American Revolution that say there would be times where he would ride his horse within 30 yards of the front lines. He was a man who did not hide behind anyone. He was not afraid, and he was up with his men. And specifically, I recount in one single battle, George Washington had his horse shot out from under him twice. Twice. Like after the first time, when, you know, you'd think I would be like, uh, no, I'm not going back up there. You know, like, all right, people saw me. I paid my dues. You know, I lost one horse. And he went right back up there. And after the battle, they found four bullet holes in his cloak. They just narrowly missed him. And he was like, no, no, no. I need to be up there with my men. And there's just fact after fact and story after story. And, you know, who knows how many of them are actually true or how many of them are just, you know, like soldiers kind of like deifying their general. But to me, for all the cool things that George Washington did, the coolest that I think was the precedent he made for the passing of leadership and power in America, Right? If you think about it, you know, when he was the first president, no one had ever really done that before. You know, there have been leaders throughout history, but he had 
the opportunity to kind of define what that role looked like. And for him, he could have made it be uh, another, you know, kingdom, like another lineage thing. He could have been, you know, called it the president, but been king and been president till he died. But he was a guy who didn't really love power and didn't want to hold on to power. He was known as this humble guy. And he passed off power. He did not think that it should be a position that should be held for an extremely lengthy period of time. And the, the crazy thing about that is he, is he kind of paved the way with even just that one decision for the modern handoff of the presidency from one to the next. And a lot of people look at George Washington, right, and they call him the father of America, right? He was the first president. He was this first general. He led us in so many different things. A lot of policies that we have are kind of based off of the things that he, he championed and he was a, a, a set the precedent for, right? He's kind of known as the father of America. And as cool as that is, it doesn't even hold a candle to how Jesus is the father of our faith. It's not even close. It, it, it doesn't even, like I said, doesn't even hold a candle. It is not even a comparison to how Jesus fathered and championed our faith and the eternal life that we have through him. We're going to talk a little bit more this morning about that. But before we do, let's pray together. If you'd bow your heads with me. Lord, we thank you. Lord, we thank you for coming and, and dying and raising to life so that we could have eternal life. Lord, this morning, as we spend some time in your word, I pray that you would illuminate to us what it means for us. Lord, that you would help us to live in a way that honors you and follows after the example that your son left us. Lord, we love you in this precious and holy name, Jesus' name, amen. So turn with me, if you would, to Isaiah chapter 9, 6. And this whole series called Expecting uh, is this clever play on words, you know, of expecting Mary being pregnant and us looking to the Christmas season where we celebrate the birth of Jesus but also it's a play off of the expectation that is uh, just laid out for us throughout the Old Testament for this coming Savior, this coming Messiah, who would solve the spiritual problem that we had. Right? And we talked about how uh, a couple of weeks ago when I laid out this series, we talked about how the Old Testament time after time after time is pointing to this coming Savior, right? All the way back in Genesis, there is this picture of a need for a Savior and this, this child that will come and will be born and will live and will solve our spiritual problem. And specifically, in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, we are told about this child that is born, this son that is given. And in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, we see kind of this 
job description laid out, right? For, you know, if you want to have this, this very uh, basic interpretation of that passage, that's really what it is. And we're going to read it in a second. But as we read, I want you to see it as a job description for the Messiah. Each of these roles is a different role that the Messiah is designed to hold, that he will hold. So follow with me, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be on his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And so we see the Savior of the world here is found in this child, in this son that is given to us. And each week we've been tackling a different one of these job descriptions or these titles, these names that are given to our Savior. And our Savior being Jesus Christ, right? We talked about how uh, in the New Testament we see that our, this Savior that comes is Christ Jesus. It's a little bit of a spoiler alert, but really that's what it is. And, and like I said, last week Mark did a fantastic job of tackling this idea of mighty God and what that meant and how Jesus Christ as our Savior is mighty actually in multiple different ways. He's mighty in his power, but he's also mighty in his meekness and humility, allowing himself to go to the cross. And so this week we're going to be tackling this, this idea of Jesus as everlasting Father. And now, to truly really understand what this title means or what this name that's given to Jesus means, we actually have to really boil it down to the two words that we see here, right? Everlasting and Father. And truthfully, if you go to the Hebrew right here that, that this, uh, this passage was originally written in, uh, a, a a literal translation or a very word-for-word -word translation here is Father of Eternity. And so you'll hear me use this, this idea of eternity and everlasting kind of interchangeably because that's really what the picture is, right? He is an everlasting Father and He is the Father of Eternity. It's meant to show the expanse at which both He is Father and he is the father of. Now, at this point, you might be a little bit confused, right? Or if you know something about the Trinity, you may look and you say, you know, isn't the Trinity the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, right? And if, he said, if it says here, for, uh, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, how is the Son also an everlasting Father? Like, isn't that kind of a contradiction, right? Aren't you know, if I look at the Trinity, aren't they like two different people? Like, right, Jesus is one, and then we have God the Father, and then we have the Holy Spirit. Like, aren't those two different things? How are they the same? How can Jesus be both Son and Father? Now, you may look at this, this passage, and you look at this name that's given to Jesus to say, oh, okay, well, that's easy. This is a passage that's talking about who the Messiah is, as part of the Trinity, right? He is Son and Father, and you know, if you want to include it, He is Holy Spirit because He is God. The Messiah, the Savior, is God. You might think that this passage is talking or interacting 
showing us the perfect unity that the Trinity has. Now, that is a true statement, right? The, the Trinity has perfect unity. They are all God. They are one, but they are distinctly three. And, uh, you know, I could get into how that happens, but that would be a whole other sermon. So if you have questions about that, feel free to ask me. Feel free to text River Connect. We, I would love to sit down with you because uh, we just don't have that kind of time this morning. But as we look at this passage specifically, it is not referring to Jesus's membership in the Trinity, right? Remember, this is not a, so, uh, this verse is not specifically saying Jesus here talking about his identity. It's talking about his role. It's talking about the names given to him, right? If we look back at that very idea of a job description, it's talking about Jesus's role as Messiah. What the Messiah is meant to do here. What he has come to earth to be. And now you may look and say, well, Justin, I'm actually even more confused, right? Like I thought I had it a little bit together. I thought I kind of had it understood. But now you, you've really got me confused. And I'm glad because you know what? I can put together broken pieces, but I can't really put together things that are already put together. So I'm glad that I was able to break that for a second. But honestly, we have to look back, and the reason I talked about George Washington was not just because I wanted to talk about George Washington. For me, as I studied this passage and as I read, the idea of George Washington being the father of America really helped me to understand what it meant to be the father of eternity. Now, Jesus and George Washington, not even close to the same, right? But there is a similarity in their titles, right? In the same way that George Washington is the father of America. He's not the father of every single person in America. He was the originator, right? He was the figurehead. He was the leader. He was the pioneer of that role. Jesus is the pioneer of eternity. Jesus is the originator of eternity. And so when we talk about father, Jesus is our figurehead into eternity. We're going to talk a little bit more about what that means, but we're truthfully, like I said, we're going to really break it down into these two words. So we're going to come back to this idea of father. We'll leave that there for a second. First, let's look at this idea of eternity. What does eternity mean? What does it mean for us? Turn with me to John chapter 1. In John chapter 1, we see John is laying out the very personhood who Jesus is. He's given us the context by which the whole, his whole gospel uh, is kind of meant to be laid out after. He's talking about who Jesus is both as man, but who Jesus is as God. And so we're looking at this idea of everlasting, eternal, and eternity. The first thing we need to understand is Jesus is eternal, right? A lot of people both now and of the time view Jesus as just this good prophet or as this created being. He was just this man who kind of was figuring stuff out and, uh, you know, he was a great teacher and he had some wisdom, but he wasn't like God and he was definitely created by God. But that is not the case at all. And John wants to make sure that from the get-go, people understand that 
Jesus is God and that he is eternal, that he has been in eternity. It says this, John chapter 1, we're starting in verse 1, says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Now, I love that transition from verse 1 to verse 2, right? In the be- it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, right? And they look and they say, oh, the Word, right? We're talking about the law. We're talking about Scripture, right? God had Scripture on his mind before all of eternity, right? That's what the, the original readers of the time would think. They would look and be like, oh, John is t- talking about the very law, the Scripture, that we have. God's word was with him. God always knew his word. But then in verse 2, we see this total shift only in the word he, right? He was in the beginning with God. And I can only imagine someone at the time reading that and being like, he, what? Like I thought we were talking about the word of God, right? That's like a thing. That's not a person, place, or thing, or that, that's, that's not a person, that's not a he, that, that's a thing, right? Like, we don't need to, to call it he, it's an it, it's the word of God, it's the scripture, it's the law. And, and John says, no, it's very different, it's the Messiah, it's him. So we continue, he was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him, Was not anything made that was made. Verse 4. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. Now we're going to skip down to verse 14. Because the verses in there talk about who John the Baptist is. And we're not really concerned with him this morning. We're concerned with Jesus. It says this. Verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So we have this picture of, right, the Word was with God in the beginning, in the beginning of all things. It doesn't say the Word was created. It says the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That is a picture of who Jesus is inside of the Trinity. He was with God, and he was God. And the word, uh, and the word, uh, the word was with God, and the word was God. And then it says, and then verse fourteen, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus was born. Jesus was born to the Virgin Mary, and he lived. He lived among the people. Right there is this beautiful picture of how he has always existed. He wasn't created. He was there for creation. He participated in creation, and he was born. He came into the world. He was not new. He was just a child. And he will be forever, right? We could point back to our, our, our sermon series that we just went through in Revelation where it talks about how Jesus exists into eternity, But there's this idea that Jesus is eternal. You have to understand that in in order to understand how he is the father of eternity. He can't be the father, he can't be the father of something that he isn't and has has not been always a part of. Jesus is eternal. 
But then we continue. Jump with me to Colossians chapter 1. This is, in the, this is um, dealing with, this is Paul writing to the Colossians, the church at Colossae, and he's writing once again about Jesus and Jesus, who he is as both man and God, and what his role is as our Savior. And it talks about how not only was, has he always existed, not only was he not created, but eternity is made by him and for him. He is not only existing in eternity, but he created eternity and it exists simply for him. Colossians 1 verses 15 through 20 says this. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn of the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile all things, or to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And so we see that even more so than just existing, he is creator. He is not only creator, but he is the power of creation, right? For him and by him, all things are created. Heaven, earth, invisible, visible, right? It lays out all things. He is the very pillar of eternity. And all things were created for him. Eternity exists solely to point us to Christ Jesus. But then we continue, right? Not only is he this pillar of eternity, not only does he create eternity, not only is eternity for him, not only has he always existed and will always exist, he brings us into eternity. Jump back to John chapter 3, right? And John continues his story about who Jesus is, and he continues to lay out who Jesus will be and what Jesus is meant to do here on earth by telling us the stories of what he's doing. And as Jesus speaks, he laid this out for us to understand. And in this, this verse that is, that is quoted so often, which is, I honestly, some people get tired of it. I don't. I think it is a fantastic verse that gives us a picture of who Jesus is, how Jesus came, and why Jesus came. In John three sixteen and 17, it says this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son in the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Right? And so we see this picture of eternity designed for us. Newsflash, whether you are a believer and you're not a believer, you will exist 
for eternity. Ecclesiastes 3 talks about eternity is laid on our hearts. We were created for eternity. Now, in our disobedience, in our sin, right, we chose to stray from God. Whether you choose to follow God or you stray from God, you will exist for eternity. Now, you may have heard talked about eternal life. Yes, eternal life and eternal death. Life and death, when it comes to eternity, has not to do with existence, like we view it for our physical selves. It has to do with connection to God. God created us for life and life abundantly. That means with him. He is life. And so you will either exist forever in eternal life with God in heaven, or you will exist in eternal death, separated from God in hell. And so what, what Jesus was designed to do, or not what he was designed to do, what he designed himself to come and do, what he laid out in creation was his role was to come, be eternity, show us eternity, create eternity, and bring us into eternity. An eternity with him. Not an eternal existence that is separated from him. Not an eternal existence in hell. But an eternal existence with him. Eternal life. God sent Jesus, his son, the forerunner of eternity for us. And as he is all these things of eternity, right? All these different things that we've talked about that makes him the father of our eternity. And now we look to this word father, and there's really two kind of main pieces to what it means by father here. There is founder and forerunner, right? Founder and forerunner, right? As father, he is originator, and as he originates eternity for us, he is founder and forerunner. So turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Here we're going to take a look at what it means for Jesus to be the forerunner for our faith. Actually, how did he go about the process of bringing us into eternity? And in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul lays out this beautiful picture of the human condition, right? This need that we had and how Jesus satisfies that need. And he, he says this. He's talking about, truthfully, our identity as believers. He says this. Verse 20. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also Christ shall all be made uh, alive. But each in his own order. Christ is the first fruits, then it is coming those who belong to Christ. Right? He is our forerunner. So he goes before us. And so we see this, this very distinct picture. And I love this picture to help us understand this idea of who we are children of. And so we see the first forerunner, or the first father, is the father of death. 
And that father of death is Adam. And that is such an unfortunate title to have, but that is truthfully the title that he has, right? Because in the beginning, right, we were created and we had this perfect relationship between us and God, right? Adam and Eve, they walked in the garden and they walked hand in hand with God and they had this perfect relationship with him. And they were given one rule, right? Don't eat from the tree of, of the knowledge of good and evil. And what did they do? They ate from it, right? And so sin was brought into the world. And so the first sinner was Adam. He is the father of sin, right? He brought sin into the world. He originated sin for us. The reason we live in a sinful world is originally because of Adam. Now, that doesn't make you exempt from your sin. You can't just blame it on Adam. You are still responsible for your own sin, but he is the first. He was the first. He brought us into that. And so he is the father of death. But when Jesus came, if you look actually at the life of Jesus or the very start of Jesus' ministry, it is very similar to Adam, right? Jesus, he was born, he lived, he was perfect, he was brought up in the ways of the Lord. And then what happens? He went and he was fasting and he went into the wilderness after fasting and he was tempted directly by Satan. Right? In the same way that Adam was, you know, you want to call it a garden, you want to call it a forest. He was around trees, right? He was tempted directly by the serpent. Jesus went into the forest after fasting 40 days and 40 nights and was tempted directly by Satan. Adam sinned. Jesus did not. In fact, Jesus was tempted in three distinct ways and still he did not sin. And he emerged from this and he went into his ministry as father of eternity. And so then what we see is Jesus goes through his ministry, he lives this perfect life, and then he takes the penalty that Adam, the father of sin, the father of death, incurred on humanity, and Jesus, who did not incur that penalty, takes it upon himself. What does he then do? He gives us salvation through his death and resurrection. And so he says, if you want to join my lineage, you have to confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that I am Lord. And so he says, if you do that, you will be given salvation. And now I am your father. I am your originator. You fall under me, the father of life, the father of eternity, right? It is this very incredible picture of Jesus's role. Now, people may not have quite understood that as they were reading Isaiah chapter 9 when, it, when Isaiah was giving that prophecy, but that is the very clear picture of how Jesus fulfills that prophecy. He is father of life because he leads us away. He is the pioneer for eternity in humanity. The only reason we have eternity is because Jesus paved the way as the first fruit. And then it talks about he's the first fruit of resurrection, right? Jesus died and then he rose again and then he ascended into heaven. And then when we die, 
physically die. He will come back and he will raise us to eternity and bring us to heaven with him. He is the forerunner in so many beautiful ways. But one of the the great things that I love is it's all based on him. I had a conversation this week with someone I was talking to them about, you know, what it meant to follow Jesus. And there was this kind of this back and forth of like, hey, you're talking about, you know, confessing and believing that he is Lord, but like, what do I have to do? Like, what are the, like, the fine print things that I have to, to fill out or that I have to accomplish in order to, like, stay saved? How do, like, I do that? Or I want to know what I'm getting into. I said, no, 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 no. You have to understand, it's based on Jesus. And they could go, yeah, 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 you said that, but, like, what do I have to do, right? Like, I have to constantly, like, meet certain criteria or, like, I've heard all these things talked about. I have to do this. I have to do this in order to be considered a Christian. And I keep going back to them. I'm like, no, 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 Jesus is the foundation. This whole process of eternal life and salvation is based on Jesus. And I pointed to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. If you want to turn there, turn there. And I love the book of Hebrews. I've studied it several different times. But the, the author of Hebrews, or, or really the preacher of Hebrews, if you look the way that that Hebrews is laid out. It's a sermon that's recorded. And the, the preacher in Hebrews, as, as they preach, they lay out how Jesus is superior to all, right? How he is the father of all, but also how he is the foundation of all. And it says this, looking to Jesus, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Right? All of this happens because Jesus is the founder. And he is the perfecter. And it's not of his own faith. It's not of his own eternity. It's of ours. And so in those times where we struggle, in those times that we feel ashamed or we feel far from God or we feel like, you know, I don't know that my ways are established or I don't know where to go or what to do or how to live. We can look to Jesus and see how he calls us to live. Why? Because he will perfect it in us. Because it is not based off of us. I hear so many times, oh, you know, I don't really know that I'm a Christian because I did this thing wrong and I did this thing wrong and I did this thing wrong. I was like, hey, if it's based off of the things we do wrong, like, I'm definitely not going to go to heaven, right? But it's based off of the things that he has done right, and he has done all things right, and he has done them for eternity. And so we see this beautiful picture of how he is this foundation, and we experience eternity through him now. Now we have this life and this relationship with Jesus who is our foundation, who we can look to when we are not steady. When our world is shaken, we can look to him who is the foundation of all that is to come and all that ever was. That's why we have his word, right? This whole word, this word, this scripture that we're given is designed 
around Jesus. Jesus being the author and perfecter. He is the founder of faith. And we look to his word. We look to the word, the example of Christ, and and the letters and the epistles that were given that talk about how to live for Christ. And the Old Testament that talks about why we need Christ. We look to that in our times of unsteadiness, of shakiness. And as we come to the close this morning, the one question that I always try and answer for you is, what does this mean for me? Like, Justin, I'm really glad that I understand that Jesus existed forever, and that he's this, this picture of eternity, that he is the originator, that he is the pioneer, that he is the founder, that he is the forerunner of eternity, and that he brings that eternity to me. But like, how does that actually play out for me? And truthfully, the answer to that is actually back in Hebrews 12, verse 1. Right? The, the, the verse very before, right before what we just said. And I'm going to read it in continuation and, and try and explain it so that we can understand what it means for us. It says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by, by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. As we see, hopefully you see here in this very, in this very, I would say, almost artistic picture of who Jesus is. It's this incredible image. And here's the way that I kind of see it in my brain. Hopefully I can help you step into my brain for a second, which, trust me, is a dangerous place. So maybe, you know, like, keep your wits about you, right? Uh, But it's this, this picture of, like, imagine that you're set to go on a race through the jungle, Right? And you, you step to the, the, the front of the jungle and you realize it is just packed. There's brush, there's vines, there's bushes out the wazoo, thorn bushes, there's dense trees, thick foliage, right? And, and you look and you're like, how am I ever supposed to run a race through that? Right? I'm not even sure I could walk through that. How am I supposed to get through that? That is what sin is. Right? That is what that separation from God is. You could not get through it alone. But Jesus, the incredible thing about Jesus is Jesus ran this race and he ran it with a machete. And he cut down this beautiful path for us to run where he cut down every thick bush Every overgrown vine, every thorn, every thistle, every tall grass, every tree, he cut it down so that we could run behind him, right? And so he is the father. He is the pioneer of the faith that we are running, eternity, right? If this eternity is laid before us and we are called to run into eternity, an eternal life with Jesus he has ran this race before us, and he has cleared out every possible foothold or stumbling block in front of us. The thing is, we like to run in winter clothes, 
We like to run with balls and chains connected around our ankles, and that's what sin is. We like to pick up brush and carry it over our shoulder. We like to run off the path in either direction and get lost in the thickets. And Jesus says, no, I'm running. I'm, I'm preparing a path for you. Look at the map that I gave you. And that is his word. And more specifically, it's Christ's example that we see in the Gospels and in the letters following that tell us how to live in light of his example. And so this morning, my encouragement to you is, as we look to Jesus as the Father of eternity or an everlasting Father of our faith, we have to follow the pioneer. He is the forerunner so that we can run behind him. And that means maybe giving up the ways we like to live. means maybe giving up our own ideas on how we should do things. Maybe giving up our own ways of living that we just cling to because we aren't willing to give up control. No wonder we end up lost. No wonder we end up in trouble in times of hardship. Because we try and go it on our own according to our own map. And we like to wander through the thickets and see what's there. He has laid out a path for us in his word. And for us that means two things. We have to know his word, right? We've got to know the map. So we have to start being in his word. We need to be reading it consistently. We should start understanding his word. And then we have to live it out. We have to actually follow the map. So I encourage you this week, as we close, this week, follow his word and read his word. Follow the forerunner and lay aside the weights that we hold on us. Lay aside the sin that we love to cling to. Let's pray together.